0: My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethany Baptist Church. It truly is a privilege to be able to study and preach God's Word. So, if you have a Bible, you could please turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Psalm 13. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer. Lord, my God, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But... I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we always need you, but especially now, so we come to you asking to be guarded from self-reliance. I need your Spirit's power to preach your word. We all need your Spirit's power as we hear your word, as this is how faith comes. We ask that your word would not fall on rocky ground, but rather in good soil, and that much fruit would come as a result of your perfect word taking deep root. But We need you to guard us, now from Satan's attempts to take the seeds of your word from our hearts. We need you to guard us now from the thorns, the cares and riches and pleasures of this life that could choke out your word. May we all hear your word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and be a doer of your word in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone's been on an escalator, right? We know what an escalator is. It's this moving staircase, a conveyor belt of sorts that safely moves us from one floor to the next. Doesn't require much effort on our part. We simply get on the escalator, make the decision to get on it, and it will transport us from this one floor to the next. The Park Pabeti train station is the deepest train station in Moscow, lying nearly 30 stories underground. So how does one move from these extreme depths up to the surface? Thankfully, there's an escalator. Now, there are depths in this world that are physical, but there are also depths That are spiritual, deep emotional craters whose bottom is so far down that there is no sign of light and no sign of hope. We live in a broken world where the topography is not smooth. We can be moving along comfortably through life and can easily fall into a shallow hole of discouragement or worse fall into a deep chasm of despair. My favorite band growing up as a teen was the group R.E.M. Some of you may remember a song by the name Everybody Hurts. And even if you're not listening, if you're not feeling sad prior to listening to it, it can bring out tears just because of its melancholy mood and slow pace. Listen as I read some of the lyrics. When your day is long and the night, the night is yours alone. When you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on. Don't let yourself go because everybody cries. And everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody hurts sometimes. Because of our sin, we live in a broken world. This song encourages the listener to hang on and don't let yourself go. So my question to you this morning is, where do you turn for deliverance? In the midst of your troubles, and then in the midst of your distress. Maybe you're in the the midst of any number of broken relationships that just seem unfixable. What do you hang on to? Perhaps you're the victim of reprehensible abuse. That has caused deep scars that seem absolutely unhealable. Who do you turn to for comfort? If it's an incurable condition, perhaps it's age, the decaying of our bodies that brings never ending pain, where do you go to for hope? It may be the loss. Or a bitter diagnosis of a loved one. Where do you take your grief? Maybe it's the unanswered prayer for children. Where do you take your discouragements? If it seems impossible to see the light in your loneliness, your depression, your anxiety, your emotional pain, your anger, your anxiety. I said that already, but... Um, It's okay to say that again. Your paralysis, your perpetual sin, or any form of darkness that God has ordained. How do you move your emotions along? How do we move from misery to delivery? Thankfully, God gives us an answer here in Psalm 13 telling us how we can take advantage of his grace that is new every morning. His grace is available to us through laments. Now, laments function similarly to escalators, taking us from the depths of our despair to our deliverance through our confidence in God. Laments serve as the vehicle that move us from our grief to our belief in God. They're the song lyrics that lead us from our brokenness to our remembrance in who God is and what he's done. So the main goal from our passage here this morning is move from despair to deliverance Through lament. I'll repeat that. I'll repeat our main goal. Move from despair to deliverance through lament. How do you do this? You turn to God and you complain with honesty. Point number one. You ask with desperation. That's point number two. And you trust with remembrance. It's point number three. So you turn to God, you complain with honesty, you ask with desperation, and you trust with remembrance. Another perk. Cat, C A T. So we see there is acronym, right? Cats express their pain, too, by yowling. You've likely heard a cat yowl before. And today's points are very similar to the tea cat that PJ introduced recently. So once you've turned to God, you complain, you ask, and you trust. Cat. May the reinforcement help us as believers become more proficient in speaking this language of lament. Okay. Now on to point number one, complain with honesty. Why do we complain? I mean, generally speaking, what is it about complaining that is attractive? I would say it feels good, right? It feels good to complain. I ought to know. as sadly, I've become quite proficient in complaining, albeit sinfully. We are beings that make a lot of decisions based on our feelings and what feels good. And there is satisfaction when we grumble about our circumstances. So it's understandable that there would be some discomfort in receiving an exhortation to complain with honesty. So how do you smooth out any tension that might be there? When God's word is clear and it tells us to do all things without grumbling. There's two things to keep in mind. God, the first thing is, God already knows what's on our hearts. He knows our heart struggles with discouragement, and they're not going to come as any shock to him. Complaining to God is always safe, because he already knows what's there. He knew before we did. God also knew that we'd be weak, and he promises to be our strength through our discouragements. The second thing to keep in mind is that when our complaints become the end and not the means to an end, they ignore God as the destination, and they become self-centered. We'll get to this later, but when we complain, we must not forget who God is and what he's done. Forgetting, us, for, for, forgetting this causes our complaints to stand still and it robs us of the grace that awaits. And what laments do is help give us a God-honoring outlet to express, to verbalize our complaints. Suffering can be ferocious and God has mercifully provided us with laments. Laments. In fact, over one-third of the psalms are considered to be psalms of lament. We live in a broken world, and when we lament, it helps to affirm that this world isn't as it ought to be. Laments typically have a complaint as a part of its structure, and Psalm 13 is no exception to that. So follow along as I read verses one And two again. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? We don't know what specific trial. David was experiencing here in Psalm 13. But while there is uncertainty about the specifics of David's circumstances, what is clear is the darkness that we see in verses 1 and 2. It's clear that David has fallen into a deep pit of despair. It's clear that David feels abandoned and we sense this hopelessness about God ever rescuing him. And we hear the sorrowful beat of David's despair established by his repeated cry of how long? This sigh of how long actually appears here in Psalm 13 more than in any other single text. And this repetition is a reflection of David's weariness. A weariness that will be... that's resulted from having to endure what feels like suffering that will just never conclude. And it's gotten so painful that David can't help but just be brutally honest about his feelings. David is addressing God by his personal covenant-keeping name, Lord, L-O-R-D in all caps, Yahweh. And he knows Lord Yahweh is perfectly faithful to all of his promises. And it just doesn't feel like it right now. As a result, David knows in his head that God has not abandoned him. And he knew that God would not forget him forever. I mean, after all, this is the same David that in Psalm 9:18 said, For the needy will not always be forgotten. The hope of the oppressed will not perish forever. But despite knowing these promises... Because of David's overwhelming circumstances, this truth hasn't registered in his heart. David knows the Lord has promised that he will never abandon his people, but he longs to experience the blessing of Numbers 6.24, of God's face shining upon him and being gracious to him. Instead, it feels like God's blessings have been yanked out from under him, And David expresses his deep grief in response. And God's delay in providing David with the comfort he seeks has resulted in both internal consequences and external consequences. And we see the internal consequences here in the first half of verse 2. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. In the NIV translation, it says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And in the ESV, it says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? Since God is withholding deliverance from David, he's sought escape through other means. And we see here in the first part of verse 2 that David's never-ending anguish has kicked up this internal dust storm. Causing this emotional restlessness. And depending on your translation, he's storing up anxious concerns within himself. He's wrestling with his thoughts. He's taking up counsel in his own soul. This has not only led to dead ends, but to an intensified weight on his soul. God's delay in providing David with the comfort he seeks has also resulted in external consequences. And we see that here in the last part of verse 2, when David wails, How long will my enemy dominate me? David questions how long his enemies will be triumphant over him. The victories allowed by his oppressors have just added more lemon juice to the extensive number of cuts brought on by God withholding his favor. The questions springing from the abandonment that King David is feeling point us to the questions also posed by King Jesus, David's heir to the throne. In Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, Jesus cries out in his pain, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus was abandoned by God so that we wouldn't have to be. And this is good news. This is the gospel message. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus, this is is the message that God wants you to hear. And even if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the message he wants you to be reminded of. We were each created by God and were made to reflect his image perfectly. But in our self-centeredness, we have forgotten God and we have abandoned our calling to follow him. Instead, we've followed what feels good to us. As Jeff had prayed earlier, we have lived a life independent of God. And the Bible calls this sin. And the penalty for us choosing to ignore God in exchange for our self-pursuits, for our sin, the penalty is God's wrath. A never-ending abandonment from God's presence And an eternity of darkness. I know that only sounds like good news. So I mean, bad news so far. But there is good news. Jesus lived a sinless life. Never forgetting the Father. Despite this, Jesus was abandoned on the cross. He experienced the horror of separation the horror of darkness apart from God, and died the death of a criminal, a death that each of us is deserving of. Jesus was then raised from the dead to, sa- to save sinners like you and sinners like me, saving us from God's abandonment. And sinners who repent from their sin, they turn from their sin and turn and put their faith in Jesus as their substitute will not have to experience the eternal separation that they're deserving of. God is calling you to repent from your sins and trust in him. If you have any questions about this gospel message, you're welcome to ask me, Johnny, who was up here a few moments ago, one of our pastors, Ross, who who you just saw up here, or perhaps even um, the member, one of the members, or maybe whoever invited you here today, whether physically or or virtually. Okay, so some application. I want to continue addressing those who aren't followers of Jesus. Thank you for joining us this morning. You could be in a whole lot of other places on a Sunday, much less on a holiday weekend, but you've chosen to join us here today, and we are delighted. Thank you. My question to you is, where do you take your complaints do your personal disappointments lead you to an eternal hope or do they lead you to further despair god is calling you this morning to see your need to put your hope in him and to choose to trust him now for the members here at bethany baptist church i want to address some some groups within Bethany Baptist Church. First, I'm going to address those that are presently carrying burdens. I'm sorry for your heartbreak. I'm sorry for the pain you're experiencing It's resulted from living in a broken world. Well, I know what some of you are going through. I don't know what each of you is going through, and I definitely don't know what it feels like to go through your heartbreak. As many of you know, God has ordained a dark season of anxiety and depression in my own personal life. It started last year, and it's only intensified as the year has progressed. So for those that read this psalm and can, can relate on some level, God wants you to come to him with your sorrows. Cast your burdens on him who is able to sympathize with each and every one of our weaknesses. As I mentioned earlier, we live in a broken world and bringing all of our complaints to him affirm that this world is not not the way it ought to be. I know I'm addressing those in the thick of suffering right now But the truth is that we all fall on the spectrum of adversity in life. It just comes in different shapes and forms and severities. So, complain honestly to God. And don't ever stop complaining, this integral part of lamenting. No matter where your complaints may be on this scale of severity. Another encouragement is to remember that if you don't believe, you don't call out. So expressing your honest complaints to God is not only an act of faith, but it serves as a doorway to hope and comfort. Tell your father above how you're feeling, that you're scared, that this hurts, That you hate feeling this way. What your sinful self really wants to do in this situation. I wouldn't want any of our children to hide how they're truly feeling if we were to ask them. And we're trying to encourage them to be as honest as possible when we ask them how they are feeling. That's only going to help us help them and direct them. Remember that God the Father already knows how we're feeling. So there's no reason in holding back when we lament. Also remember that our our complaints aren't the final landing spot, right? They're just a place that we're going to be taking off from. Keep in mind that when you're praying your complaints... They don't have to be long. And they ought not be pretty, right? Here, in just a few short verses, David has modeled some great examples. And one more thing to those currently carrying burdens. God doesn't just want you to experience His grace solely through complaining to Him. He wants you to experience His grace as you share your complaints with other believers. He wants you to lean on your church family as a means of grace as well. Don't get caught up in the trap of distorted thinking that Satan can easily lure us into so deceitfully. We can easily rely on our own means, listening to our own counsel, like David, and not seeking the wisdom of other church members, other believers. Get in the habit of letting others into the private conversations you have with yourself. And like David, don't just share what you're suffering. Also share how you're suffering, what it feels like. Don't just name the circumstance, but all the ways this circumstance has affected you. Okay, now I want to address members who are currently ministering to others' carrying burdens. And if this isn't you now, it will be at some point if you are loving others well. So my encouragement and question to you is how can you listen well and speak truth as you wisely walk alongside others in love? Remember that if one doesn't believe, one doesn't call out. So when someone expresses their honest complaints to God, it's an act of faith and a doorway to hope and comfort. Ask for discernment in knowing when to listen, when to speak, and what to say. And for those not currently carrying burdens, if this is you, praise the Lord for the current yet temporary tranquil waters. Know that if you're not suffering now, and this isn't me trying to paint this picture of doom and gloom, the truth is that at some point you will suffer in the future unless God painlessly takes your life prior. So one way to prepare for the storms that are coming is learning to lament now learning to complain honestly to God now. Now I want to address children. Children that are here, children that are online. God is calling you to put your faith in Him. He wants you to trust Him always because He is always good, even when it may not feel like He's good in whatever situation you may be going through. He wants you to learn at a young age, that it is okay to be discontent with the brokenness of the world, but he wants to teach you what to do in response to this broken world. He wants you to learn at a a very young age who is appropriate to speak to about your struggles, and he wants you to learn at a young age how to lament because there is much grace in lamenting. So while complaints, I know that was a whole lot of exhortation, huh? Um, So while complaints are an integral part of lamenting, they are just the means to an end, but not the end. Complaints aren't designed to be the, the destination of grace, but rather the starting point. So as you continue progressing up this escalator of lament, after turning to God and complaining, honestly, you've now moved on to the next step. And that's our second point. Ask with desperation. Ask with desperation. Consider me and answer. Lord, my God, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. David has now transitioned from honest complaints to desperate requests. They have played out in about four to five questions. His complaints have played out in about four to five questions, depending on your translation. But they've now transitioned. And in the NIV Bible, David cries out, look on me and answer me, Lord, my God. Look, Lord, I'm here, look at me. David fears for his life in these verses. And we hear him frantically trying to flag down God and trying to reason with him. In the process. After complaining about God's concealed face in verse 1, we see a shift here as David calls for God to reveal his face. Now, why is God's look, his unhidden face, so important? Because it's an expression of life. It's an expression of favor. And David is pleading with God to consider him, to look on him as he so badly wants to receive God's graciousness. Hoping he has gotten God's attention, he prays again, Restore brightness to my eyes. Dim eyes were a sigh of anguish, were a sign of anguish, a sign that death was looming. So David is asking for God to save him. To strengthen him. To give a boxing analogy, David appeals to the Lord because he is knocked down. And he's lying on the floor, the boxing mat. And if, as if in slow motion... He can hear the referee's hand smacking the, smacking the mat as he calls out each number. Eight. Nine. Progressing up to ten, knowing when that ref gets to ten, David's going to be declared knocked out, and he will lose. So he fiercely pleads to God for endurance. Endurance. To give him the strength needed to get up off the mat. Because the bell is not going to save him. The only way he's going to be saved is if God intervenes. And David's argument here is that if God does not come through, this is a lose-lose situation. Because not only will David be defeated... Without answers as to how to climb back up, but God's enemies will bring shame on him. will bring shame on God's name and his destiny, because if they conquer David, who's been set aside as the anointed one, he's the messianic king. If they conquer David, if they take him down, they conquer God's kingdom. And that would be pointless. And that simply cannot happen. It'd be like watching an action movie. And let's say you're about less than halfway through the movie. And the star star of the movie is in this really precarious situation. You don't know how the star is going to get out of it. It makes no sense. The situation looks inescapable. But deep down, you know they're safe, right? Why? They're the star. The movie production company would not have spent millions of dollars on this person, just allow them to perish now. Would they? That wouldn't make any sense. David's reasoning is somewhat similar. So what does this mean for all of us? I'm going to address... Non-Christians, and then I want to address Christians. So to our non-Christian friends that are here or listening, Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is calling you to call on him. May you see your desperate circumstances and the punishment of God's wrath that awaits you apart from Christ. May you decisively seek the Lord for salvation, turning from your rebellion against God and turning to God your creator and putting your faith in him. For Christians, Romans ten thirteen says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. David's desperate circumstances led to David's desperate prayer. And as we ourselves experience heartache, may it trigger us as believers to call on the name of the Lord. While suffering has the ability to bring us to the end of ourselves, in this fallen world, we're in constant need of being saved. Ask desperately for endurance. Cry out to Lord, for us cry out to the lord for 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 restoration for me personally as ugly as this season for me has been my suffering has enabled me to see a little more of my need for god it's brought me to be more desperate for god to restore brightness to my eyes to put it in the words of our text. Fellow believer, may you rejoice in all things to include rejoicing in seeing your need for God's help. God's character and God's spirit empowers you to ask boldly. David also reasoned with God as a way of appealing to him. So listen to reason. I mean, sorry, learn to reason with God as you gain a deeper understanding of his character and a deeper understanding of his promises. So to review our language lessons on this escalator of lament, we move from despair to deliverance through lament as we turn to God and we complain with honesty. We ask with desperation. And our third point we trust with remembrance. Trust with remembrance. Verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. All of scripture is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. However, my favorite word in Psalm 13 may come as a surprise. And it's the word that changes the mood of this entire lament. And it launches us in to this last stanza. What word is that? The word but, B U T, but. This short word is a powerful and sweet word because it's used as a pivot point and has the ability to redirect our aching hearts towards hope. All while still recognizing that suffering remains as a part. Of this broken world. It's a a point where both our grief and our belief are no longer contradictory. It's the intersection where they can actually exist together. The word but acts as a hinge that swerves our gaze upward. Without ignoring that the painful cir- circumstances in our life still remain. Last year, Ruby and I, Ruby and my wife, took our daughter, True on a special 13th birthday um, celebration uh, adventure up to San Francisco. And while we we're there, we visited the Museum of Modern Art. And we were fascinated by an artist by the name of Chuck Close. His last name is ironic because when you're up close to his paintings, the elements painted are seen simply as just a group of disconnected and abstract markings on a canvas. However, it's when you back up take a number of steps back up from the painting, that you're able to see this massive artwork in its entirety. And you're able to see that these abstract markings form the image of a portrait of a human. And this is the same close-up deception that we succumb to so easily when we remain stuck in our discouragements. Stuck in our complaints, and we forget about God. We miss out on the big picture. Well, the big picture that God has chosen to reveal to us through his word. And when we miss out on that, what's in front of us appears completely hopeless. We then get stuck on the losing end of an invisible spiritual battle leading to a cynical, sky-is-falling way of thinking. The abstract markings I just described represent the brokenness that's in this world, our painful circumstances, our despair. And backing up doesn't ignore them and it doesn't lead to an automatic turning of your frown upside down but our use of the word but pushes you to see through eyes of faith but it presses you to take hold of God's grace that has always been there leading you up a path that helps you to practice an active patience as you trust on him trust trust him On him, in him, you trust him. How long, Lord? Only he knows. And that's a good thing. Because he's always good. Up until this point of our text, David's focus has been horizontal. And he was expressing an understandable dismay about his circumstances. Keep in mind that there's no evidence of David's circumstances changing in any way, shape, or form here in the text. But when his focus was set upward, hope took up residence in his soul once again. And these last two verses, despite the ongoing darkness, David chose to trust God, remembering two things. Two things that he knew that he could anchor his hope in. As he trusted God with remembrance. And those two things are God's character and God's promises. God's character, who God is. We're going to look at two facets of God's character here. One, God is faithful. And two, God is generous. Let's look at the first facet. God is faithful. You see that in the first half of verse 5. But I have trusted in your faithful love. David knew God was perfectly loyal to his covenant promise. And despite being battered by the storms of life, the one thing that he can hold on, the only one thing that he can hold on to that is perfectly stable is the promise of God's covenantal love. The unfailing love that proceeds from the one true God. Within two months of Ruby and me starting to date, she left me. She left me to study abroad in England. For nearly six months. And to this day, she'll ask me, where have you? Were you ever worried that I would cheat on you? And I always respond with this confused face. No, I don't. I, like I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. Like, it never crossed my mind. Like, why would you even ask a question like that? It was and an, there was not one ounce of doubt. Why was I so confident? Blind love. Perhaps it was a little bit of that. Because Linda Park was also with her for the entire time? Maybe. But while I'd only known her for less than a year, I trusted her character. She just gave off this loyalty vibe. And by God's grace, my confidence has never swerved once. But my confidence was based on the loyal character of a sinful person. How much more confident ought we be in the loyalty of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God whose very nature is holy and righteous and is so committed to his faithfulness that he remains true to Israel, his chosen people, despite her spiritual adultery. Now that is why David continued to hope in the face of darkness. And this is why we can too as believers. Because of, God, because of who God is, a covenant-keeping God whose love is never failing. Not only does David know that God is faithful, he knows that God is generous. The second facet of God's character that we can trust with remembrance. God is generous. and We see this in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. A large number of the psalms were intended to be sung. And Psalm 13 is no exception. We see that in the title of Psalm 13. For the choir director, a psalm of David. But Psalm 13, like other laments, is not an upbeat song. Not one that we may be accustomed to listening to. Especially within the context of our gatherings. It's not going to compel you into happiness. To clap along as if you feel like a room without a roof. It's not going to do that to you. No. No. These are songs of lament. They're set in a minor key, a series of notes with a sad, somber character that absolutely tear at your heartstrings. There are some songs that just instantly evoke our tear ducts to just weep. Wouldn't you agree? And this is the mood that is established here in Psalm 13 through this song. And it would appear that David has remained in a more sedated and reflective mood because he sings, I mean, he speaks of singing in a future tense. He says, I will sing. But David has every reason to hope with confidence that he will one day sing as if he's walking on sunshine because his, covenant, his covenant-keeping God is generous. His singing will change. David knows God has been faithfully generous to him in the past. And as a result, he knows that he'll continue being faithfully generous to him in the future. And this is what learning the song lyrics of Lament can do. Through lamenting, you tune your discouraged soul to the harmony of who God is and what he's done. Trusting in God will remembrance will one day give way to singing that is no longer set in a minor key. David knew his hope would be securely anchored as he trusted God remembering God's character and to God's promises. So let's look a little closer at God's promises, what he's done as we focus on the last half of verse 5. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will, re- will rejoice in your deliverance. For the Hebrew, the heartbed wasn't the hotbed of emotions that we consider it to be. Rather, The heart was the center of both reflective thinking and one's true desires. So David is saying that he will be rejoicing internally in a place where God's deliverance can not only be thought about, but also felt. David knows God will save him. His faith isn't what saves him, but rather the object of his faith. The covenant-keeping God has promised to ultimately deliver him one day from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And like in verse 6, David says, My heart will. Future tense. There's a couple more things I want to mention here as we look um, at the future tense that's used here in this psalm. First thing I want to say is by... Saying that his heart will rejoice in verse 5, it implies that David has already made the decision to trust God, but his heart has yet to follow. David is confident that it will at some point, whether it's soon, whether it's later, or whether it's much, much later. We don't know. David doesn't know. But it's something that he can anticipate with assurance, whenever God ordains it to be. And this future tense can encourage us as believers, as we actively wait on the Lord. The second thing I want to mention about the future tense is that the majority of this psalm um, or the majority of the psalm is communicated in a future tense. Look at the contrast between the much darker wills in verses 1 to 4. The will you, the will I, the will they's. You contrast that with the much lighter I wills in verses 5 and 6. Which have come about as a result of David choosing to trust And nowhere do we see that he's been relieved of any of the pressures that have been overwhelming him. David still has a whole lot on his mind that's weighing on his soul, but he still chooses to trust. May you be strengthened knowing that you're not alone in your struggles as you read the struggles of David. A man after God's own heart. Some application here. Application number one. Arm yourself with a deeper understanding of God's character and promises as His Word is rich with these truths. And here are just a few ways to consider. You haven't already? Start reading your Bible through the lenses of God's character and promises. Learn to identify these truths that you can anchor your soul in. What I've been doing recently in my journal Bible is taking two different colored pens and underlining when I see God's character and underlining everything that has to do with God's promises. And this has been so encouraging to my soul to be reminded of it because I'm in constant need of being reminded of that day in and day out. Something else to consider doing, if you haven't already, is, or maybe there's something you're in the process of doing, memorizing verses that have to do with God's character and promises as you root these truths deep within your memory and deep within your heart. If you need a place to start, John Piper, just doing an internet search, has a list of his most used promises that you can, you can find pretty readily. Um, you can also consider memorizing, going through BBC's Catechism, or maybe any cate- catechism. So Bethany Baptist Church has a catechism. Um, Tim Keller has one. There's some catechisms out there. Our kids are in the process of, of doing so. the Tobai kids are in the process, or maybe they've got or they're maybe still going through the process of doing just that. but we, um, we don't have to be kids to appreciate and learn God's truths. Something else, some other application. Um, get in the habit of making it to the word, but, when you complain. Just as David modeled for us. It's a word that we can find rest through as we find rest in the Lord. Practice using the word, but, or even the word, yet. Y-E-T. It's another word that's used commonly here in the Psalms of Lament. Lament. Another application, remember that we keep trusting as we keep lamenting. Laments aren't some um, magical formula that wondrously elevate us to some preconceived idea of utopia. Trusting God with remembrance doesn't mean that your soul will instantly turn from dark to light as if it were controlled by a light switch. I guess a more appropriate analogy would be like a a dimmer, right? In fact, your soul may not get to the levels that you have in mind ever. Your pain may last a lifetime, but our faithful, promise-keeping God has vowed, To one day end all suffering once and for all. And this is a promise we can anchor our hope in. Joy will come in the morning. Lamenting helps build our active patience muscles. And it helps us to hold tight to God's promises while not ignoring the pain that God has ordained in our lives. Boast in your weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. And it's when you recognize when you are weak that you are strong in Christ. Last point of application. Recall God's generosity in your life. David remembered how generous God had dealt with him in the past. And we can, too, as believers. As we commit ourselves more and more to identifying God's goodness in our lives, the easier it will be to see God's goodness in the present. Practice recognizing God's generosity in your lives daily. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So in closing, as we move from despair to deliverance through laments, as we turn to God, we complain with honesty, we ask with desperation, and we trust with remembrance. So our final call to action Move from despair to deliverance through laments, anchoring your soul in God's character and in His promises. If you don't, you will get stuck on the bottom floor of complaining. You'll remain in your heartbreak without any true hope, and you will neglect God's comfort. But if you learn the language of lament, and you practice it, you will receive the grace that God wants to give you. You will learn to wait on the Lord with active patience. And you will have hope that can't be ruffled because you're anchoring it in God's promises and in his character. I'm not sure how Uh, Familiar you are with the geography of the country of Colombia, but there's a colorful city there by the name of Medellin, and back in the 80s and 90s, Medellin had a community that was up on the city's hillside, yet it was darkened by violence, and it was a stronghold for guerrillas and drug traffickers. But today, this eye-catching city is now a part of a much brighter picture. What happened? An escalator was built. A giant escalator scaling the mountain six sections. And since its construction, the escalator has surprisingly been a uniting force. And has led to a remarkable uprise of the community of Medellin. Carlos Escobar, the architect, says that it was the escalator that served as the engine of transformation of the neighborhood. How does an escalator do just that? He says it changed the minds of the people inside the community, unifying social classes that had once been divided and in the process it also changed of the people outside the community Bethany Baptist Church let us move from despair to deliverance and may the escalator of lament serve as a pathway pathway of grace, not only to your own soul, but through you as well, to those inside and outside the covenant community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of lament. Thank you for giving us a voice for our pain. And for a reminder of what your voice has promised. You and your words give us hope. You provide something secure for us to hold on to. Father, your son said that in the world we will have tribulation. But he also pointed us to the great hope that we have in him. Help us take to heart. Remember that he has overcome the world. We pray for those Of us who are currently suffering, that you would soften our hearts and we would see and experience our pain differently through lament. Protect us from remaining on the bottom floor of our complaining. Protect us from passively and hopelessly becoming so comfortable in our discouragements and our despair that we abandon your comfort, even in what may seem like the darkest of moments. Father, you tell us that your grace is new every morning, that your grace is sufficient. Help us to seek your grace and to taste your grace. Help us to fear you and not our circumstances, because whatever we fear controls us. We pray for those not going through the fire of trials at present. We ask that you would help ready them for the storms that will come. Help them Learn to lament now as an outlet of your grace for now and as a means of preparing them for later. We pray for our unbelieving friends that have heard your good news this morning but have not chosen to abandon their lives and follow you. May they believe you when you say that the one who loves his life will lose it, but the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We plead with you to save them, Soften their hearts. Grant them eyes of faith. Father, we look forward to the day where there will be no more darkness. No more pain. No more tears of sorrow as you will wipe them all away. We long for the day when death will be conquered. And will no longer provoke our eyes to be dim. We long for the day when you will permanently restore our eyes to brightness. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.